All right, well, we made it. Um, it's been a great weekend for me, and I want to thank you again for having me. Uh, I love doing this. I love being with you. And so let me just kind of start there. Um, I care about you. And because of that, I want you to know that if I can ever do anything for you, please let me know. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, John's got my email. If, if I can ever serve you or help you in any way, uh, please let me know because uh, I would love, love to do that. But thanks. It's been fun. It's been a great weekend. Um, and, you know, as we talk about this idea of growth, um, we kind of started on Friday night, and we've talked about several different things. We've, we've covered a lot of ground. And, and normally I do the review, but we're going to have a big small group. Small group is supposed to be like 8 to 10 people. We're going to have like 125 people small group right now. Because I'm going to let you do the review. Okay? I know this is dangerous for a teacher to do that, isn't it? But I trust you because I know you've been listening. And so if you are brave enough, I would love for you as just two, three, four of you to tell us what you're taking away from this weekend. Any volunteers? Like what have you learned? What have we talked about? Something that stuck out to you? I think that's important for us to learn and hear from one another. You've been talking about in your small groups. JP. It's easy for us to drift away. It goes largely unnoticed, and because of that, we need to pay attention. Great. What else? All right. Not about trying harder. It's about resting and trusting in Jesus. Awesome. What else? Need to recognize your idols. Once you recognize your idols, we talked about how do you do that. Talked about that today. And once you do, the hope is, is that we would go before God and release our idols and let Him basically destroy them. What else? Great. Thank you. Others? Any college students? Any adults? Any other students want to share something they're taking away, learned, stuck out. Oh, sorry. You can't like cut the kudzu without God. You can't cut the kudzu out of your life, the sin without God. Amen. One more. Anybody? One more. Y'all are doing awesome. Any other takeaways? That's great. All right. Repent of our goodness. Basically of our self-righteousness. Let me say this, because it's, you see, when you realize, this is important, okay? Let me say this too. You know, when you come to a weekend like this or a topic like this, we could, we could stay here every night for the next three months and talk about spiritual growth. <laughs> And still not cover the topic. And so it is very difficult for me to pick five things to talk about. And through praying, God led me to these things that we've talked about this weekend as far as spiritual growth. There is so much to be said about this topic. 
And you can't say everything because if you try to say everything, then you'll end up saying what? Nothing. And so I realize there is so much more to be said, but I'm hoping that you're taking away one, two things that you can take back with you to Birmingham. And uh, as Bruce mentioned, let me say this idea of goodness, the repenting of your self-righteousness. And here, here's why that's important. Because when you see yourself a sinner before God, as someone that needs Jesus, that pushes you out into the world to love other people. You see how that kind of kills a judgmental spirit? That kills this idea of looking down on someone for doing something, um, maybe, you know, that's doing something that you're not doing that you think is pretty bad. When you realize how Jesus has saved you, that pushes you towards that person in compassion, in love, in mercy. And so that's, again, that's a whole nother, we could spend a whole nother week on that topic. But uh, thank you for sharing. That's very encouraging. Uh, and, you know, one other thing that I want to say as we kind of set up this last talk and think about this idea of what you need to know to grow or spiritual growth. As you go back to Birmingham, one of the, again, I just couldn't fit it in, but one of the most important things in spiritual growth is growth happens in community. Okay, God, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You know, there's none of this me and Jesus thing and you're off on an island. No. Christianity is about a group of people that we call the church moving forward in the world. And so growth happens in Christian community. That's why it is important for you to come to things like this, but that's why it's important to you, for you to get to church on Sunday morning and get in the body of Christ. Because that is how God has ordained for you to grow, through the preaching of the Word, through prayer, which we're going to talk about tonight, through taking what we call the Lord's Supper and the sacraments, and through being in community and worshiping with other people and holding one another accountable and loving one another through hard stuff, that's all part of spiritual growth. And so, if you want to take the next step in these things we've talked about, you've got to stay plugged into community. I know some of you might go to other churches. Wherever you go, stay plugged in to your youth group and to your church. It is vital for you to grow as a Christian. Well, tonight we come to our final talk, and the title is Prayer, the Means of Growth. And as we head back to our uh, schools and back to Birmingham, uh, I wanted to end on this note because that's all we've got, friends. If we're going to grow spiritually, because here's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God, and if you lack prayer in your life, it's because you think you can change yourself and you are self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's what that reveals if you have a prayerless life. Because prayer is basically coming before God and saying, God, I need help. I cannot do it. Please change me. Please help me grow. And so prayer is the last element of growth that we're going to look at and it's vitally important. And here's my hope. It's that when we go to our small group time tonight, that you would pray together. That you would encourage one another. That you would have prayer groups when you get back 
to Birmingham that you would pray with and for one another on a regular basis because that is one of the most vital things we can do for Christian growth. Alright, turn with me in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Have you ever thought about the cost of not praying? Have you ever thought about the cost of not praying? It was almost 1 a.m. in the home of Dr. Leo Winters when his phone rang. Dr. Winters is an acclaimed surgeon, one of the best surgeons in the world, and he resides outside the Chicago area. This night, it was a young boy who had been mangled in a late-night car accident. The nurse called and said, Dr. Winters, we need you at the hospital right away. Dr. Winters said, is there someone else that can handle it? And the nurse said, no, there's not. Only your skill can save the boy's life. Dr. Winters agreed and said, I'm on my way. And so he took the quickest route to the hospital, which was through a rather rough part of town. He decided to risk it because time was of the essence. And as he comes up to a stoplight, the door flies open. And standing at Dr. Winter's door is a man wearing a gray hat and a dirty flannel shirt. Dr. Winter said, no, 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 you don't understand. I've got to get to the hospital now. The man didn't listen and pulled him out of the car and threw him in the middle of the street, hopped in the car, and took off. Dr. Winter's actually wandered around for the next 45 minutes trying to find a telephone. He finally found a phone and he called a taxi. He arrived at the hospital over an hour after he said he would be there. And when he raced in to see the nurse, he knew by the look on her face that he was too late. The nurse said the boy has died. And his father is down in the chapel and he's confused and wondering why you didn't come. Dr. Winters took off walking down the hallway and he walks into the chapel and there weeping in front of the chapel is a man wearing a gray hat and a dirty flannel shirt. You see, in the man's panic, he pushed from the car the only person that was able to save his son's life. You know, tragically, that is exactly what happens in our lives when we stop praying. When we stop praying, friends, we push from our lives the only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is able to save us. 
The only person that is able to help us grow and to help us change and become the person that we've always dreamed that we would be. And turning from the resources of an infinite God, we turn to ourselves. And in turning to ourselves, we wonder why nothing happens in our life. We wonder why we can't seem to ever root out that sin that easily entangles us. We wonder why we can't change our character. The Apostle Paul, friends, invites us tonight to come pray. He invites us to come pray and experience God who is the one who is able to change us and to help us. And so, listen, as Daniel comes and reads God's Word for us. This is Ephesians 1. This is a prayer of Paul's 15 through 23. Uh, all right, read with him. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thank you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You know, one of the things we've really emphasized uh, really throughout the whole weekend is this idea of growing um, as a Christian and the fact that we can really do nothing in and of ourselves to bring about our own transformation. And so because of that, we need to pray and call on the resources of God to come into our lives through His Spirit And do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so that's why we need to pray, friends. Pray diligently and fervently for God to work. And so look at this passage. We learn three things about prayer. Why we fail to pray. Why we need to pray. And then thirdly and finally, what we need to pray. Let's look at the first one. Why we fail to pray. Look at verse 15. Paul begins his prayer by saying, for this reason. And anytime we see something like that in the Bible, what is the first question we should ask? Anybody want to guess? For what reason? Because see, he's trying to connect us to something that has gone before, something that he's already said. And that's what he's doing in verse 15. For this reason, for what reason? Well, look at verses 3 through 14. Paul, in verses 3 through 14, 
is a man that's thrilled with God. He is so excited about what Jesus has done for him. You can read that sometime. It's amazing. Paul is talking about what Christ has done for him and for those that are Christians. And he is so thrilled that he can't contain himself. And so he just burst forth in prayer and in praise in verse 15. What's the point? Here's the point. Prayer always arises from a heart that rejoices in Jesus. Let me say it this way. Doxology, which is another word for worship, doxology and worship always precedes devotion and prayer. You see, for many of us, we would say that our prayer lives lack power. Some of you don't pray with any regularity at all. Others, maybe you pray, uh, but it's become uh, rather flat. Some of you are very faithful, but you've become rather self-righteous about your pious discipline. So whether you don't pray or it's a struggle to pray, wherever you are on the spectrum, almost everyone would say probably that their prayer life lacks power. Let me illustrate uh, with this story. There was a man who he moved into this new house and he had several trees in his backyard that needed to be cut down because he was going to be doing some landscaping uh, in his backyard. And so he went to get a chainsaw and he went to this chainsaw shop and he's talking to this dealer about the different chainsaws. And the guy says, look, let me just save you a lot of trouble, you know, with this chainsaw here, it's top of the line. You can cut a hundred cords of wood in one day. The man says, I'll take it. That'll save me a lot of heartache, a lot of frustration. I'll take that chainsaw. The man went home, had a few hours left in that day, and so he begins cutting wood. After uh, the sun went down, he had only managed to cut two cords of wood. He's frustrated. But he's kind of thinking, you know, let me give this one more chance, give it a full day. And so he decides to get up early the next morning and cut wood from the sun up to sundown. And so the next morning, he gets up bright and early and he cuts wood the entire day. And when the sun goes down, he had only managed to cut five cords of wood. As you can imagine, he's, he's pretty frustrated. He's thinking the saw doesn't work. And so he takes the saw. Uh, the next morning he says, he puts it, he goes into the chainsaw shop and he puts that down on the counter of the chainsaw and says, Sir, there's something wrong with this saw. It doesn't cut. You told me this was top of the line. Well, the owner of the shop pulls it out and he's kind of looking at the chainsaw and he's checking all different kinds of things on it. And he says, well, it looks pretty good. And then the owner of the shop proceeds to start up the chainsaw. To which the man replied, What's that noise? You see, the man had never started the chainsaw. The man had never tapped into the power of the chainsaw. And the reason why you and I fail to pray is because we often fail to tap into the power of prayer. 
The reason why we fail to pray is we fail to tap into the power of prayer. What's the power of prayer? The power of prayer is worship. It is worship. It is seeing and savoring the glories of Jesus. Friends, that is the fuel for a vibrant and thriving prayer life. Are you praying this evening without perceiving all that is yours in Jesus and what Jesus has done for you? If you are, it either won't last very long or it will become your righteousness. Here's the application, okay? The application here is not try harder. Most prayer sermons are get up at 4 a.m., pray for three hours, then go to school. No, 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 no. You know what the application is? Worship. The application is getting on your knees and thanking God for His glorious gift that He's given you and all His graces and blessings in your life. Because when Jesus becomes more beautiful to us and to you, guess what? There'll be a bursting for, just like there was for the Apostle Paul here. Remember when he was contemplating Jesus? Boom! It led him to prayer. There'll be a bursting forth of prayer in your own life and in this youth group. Why do we fail to pray? It's a worship problem. Because when we worship, it leads us to pray. Secondly, why we need to pray. Look at verses 16 and 17. I kept asking, I do not cease, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Let me explain that. Here's what's implicit there. Here's what's going on. Implicit is this idea that the enlightening of the eyes of our hearts is something that's beyond any human labor, any human skill or ability. In other words, I can't open your eyes and I can't even open my own eyes. And as great as the church of Ephesus was, and it, it by all accounts in Scripture, it was a good church. Especially early on. Unfortunately, when we get to the side note, when they get to the book of Revelation, you know one of the churches that Jesus goes after is the church at Ephesus. He says the, the light had gone out. They had lost their first love, which is another reason why we need to pay attention to our spiritual life. That's a sidebar. But as great as that church was at this moment when Paul is writing, Paul says there's still a sense which they don't see Christ clearly. They still see Him dimly. And Paul knew that there was nothing he could do about it. He knew that he couldn't open their eyes and help them to see Jesus more clearly. And so what does Paul do? Verses 16 and 17. He calls on the resources of another. He calls upon the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 17. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory and the Spirit of wisdom, our only hope to grow, our only hope to see Jesus more clearly, 
is to call on the resources of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come into our heart and to do what we can't do for ourselves. In 1994, London, England, there was a 63-year-old accountant who paid the ultimate price for his short-sightedness. The man knew he needed bladder surgery, but he absolutely hated hospitals and doctors. And so as one news agency reported, he did to himself what he should have depended upon someone else to do for him. And leaning on his own self-sufficiency and self-reliance, he performed bladder surgery on himself. And as you might imagine, he got an infection from his own operation and died tragically a few weeks later. You know, that's a tragic story. But just as tragically tonight, there are people in this room that are dying spiritually because they are trying to perform operations on their own spiritual selves. And because of your self-sufficiency, you are paying the price. You see, unfortunately, all of us, myself included, are often blind to our own limitations. And you know, one of the limitations that we're often most blind to is this idea of self-reliance, of thinking, you know, God, you know, I appreciate you and all, but I kind of got this. I can handle this. We're often blind to that because of our culture. We live in the United States. We're used to making it happen and getting it done. We live in Birmingham and over the mountain, and that's just kind of our culture. Listen, when I look at you, you're hard workers. You look great. You're used to making it happen. And most of the time, you work hard enough and everything seems to work out for you. But what happens is we normally take that same mentality into our spiritual life. And then we say, if I can just work hard enough, study hard enough, be good enough, then I can make myself grow and get the job done spiritually. And friends, we cannot have that mentality if we're ever going to grow because growth comes as we depend on the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. You see, we think, and it's funny, this is what I, I'm a, I've got four girls uh, six and under. Yes, I'm busy. Um, but, you know, this is, this is where I go with parenting oftentimes. I often think about parenting and my girls turning out okay. It's all about me making the right moves and doing the right things. You know what parenting is? Getting down on my knees and praying that God would come and work in their heart. You see, that's the way we think about spiritual growth. Oftentimes we think it's like us making all the right moves. And until we come convinced, until you are convinced that you can't change your heart, that you can't change your friend's heart, that I can't change my child's heart, whoever, until we come become convinced that we cannot change our hearts, then we're never going to take prayer seriously. 
until we become convinced of that. Do you wonder why nothing's happening in your life? Do you wonder why you never can seem to root out that one sin that seems to have a hold on you? Do you wonder why you're not more compassionate, not more loving, more patient, more holy? Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God to produce that in you? Could it be that the reason why nothing's happening in your life is because you're still depending upon yourself to do it instead of depending upon God to come through prayer and do that in you? Friends, we don't have the resources to change ourselves. That is why Paul is saying, cry out for God to come help you and give you what you need to grow and to change. So why do we fail to pray? Well, it's a worship problem. Why do we need to pray? Well, because we can't change ourselves. And thirdly and finally, what do we need to pray? You know, so often the core of our prayer request centers on, if you're like me, getting what I want from Jesus rather than taking hold of what I already have. You know, this passage teaches us that a life of spiritual growth is far more than just getting our boxes checked on our prayer request list. You know, a life of spiritual growth and spiritual power comes when we perceive by faith what is already ours in Jesus. Did you hear that? A life of spiritual power comes when we perceive what is already ours in Jesus. What is already ours? Look at verse 19. Incomparable power. Follow along with me, 19 through 23. Very, very interesting. Paul piles up the enormities for power, the enormity of power, with synonyms and adjectives for power. Hang with me. Verse 19. This power, this word here, is the word we get dynamite from. And it indicates raw power and strength. Look at the word working. It's the word we get energy from, and it means this inward propulsion of power, in working, this inward propulsion of power. Then the word great, some of your translations might say might, it refers to the ability to conquer. The word might or strength in your translation refers to physical force. You getting the picture here? Paul is saying that if you are a Christian, what is in you is unfathomable. That it's almost beyond comprehension the power that you have because of Jesus. But here's what just blew me away is then Paul shows us where we can see the power. Look at verses 20 through 23. Paul says, this power that you have because of Jesus, you can see it in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Get your mind around this. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says, take this in. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead 
is living in you. And yet, we live such defeatist lives. He doesn't stop there. He says it can also be seen in the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of God the Father. It can be seen in the power that seated Christ above every name and above every nation. That power is living in you because Christ is living in you. He says it can be seen in the headship of the church, of Christ over the church, where Jesus conquered all of His enemies and all of our enemies, defeated them once and for all when He went to the cross. Listen, Paul says that that, if you are a believer in Jesus tonight, that that's something that you already have. And so what Paul is doing is saying, guys... You need to beg Jesus to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can grasp that. So that we can grasp what we have available to us through the Gospel. Vincent Van Gogh, he once said this, that being an artist involves grasping life at its depth. Paul's most pressing plea is to show the Christian tonight that being a Christian involves grasping life in Christ at its depth. That's what he wants. And you know what we do? You know what I do? I often go looking for a better power source. We often go looking for some different silver bullet that we can kind of plug into We might go looking for a more emotional experience or a more lively praise and worship service or a second blessing of the Spirit or an additional gift. And Paul says, stop! No! Notice, it's interesting, Paul doesn't wish anything extra for us. He's not wishing anything extra. Paul is saying, guys, I want you to get what you got. Thomas Chalmers He's the founder of the Free Church of Scotland. And he pastored a church in Kilmeny, Scotland for several years. For the first eight years of his ministry there, he preached, be better, try harder, behave. And then somewhere around 1811, he started to understand that the power wasn't in behaving, the power was in believing. And so for the next four years, he began to put before his congregation the wonders of Jesus and the glories of what he has done for us. Sunday after Sunday, there was a man there that was with Chalmers before 1811 and after 1811. And listen to what he writes. He says that Chalmers would bend over the pulpit and press us to take the gift as if he held it in his hand at that moment. And he wouldn't be satisfied until every single one of us had gotten possession of it. He says, and then when the sermon was over and the last song was sung and he pronounced the blessing, 
says that he would break out afresh in some new entreaty of the gospel, unwilling to let us leave until he made one more attempt to persuade us to accept it. You see, Chalmers understood that the key to spiritual growth was having the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we would love Jesus more. So that the old affections in our hearts, all those things that you don't like, those idols that we talked about, that they would be replaced with new affections. Affections for Christ. See, and in this prayer, Paul's not wanting us to bend over the pulpit. Paul's trying to get us to bend over the throne of grace and to plead with the Holy Spirit to come give us eyes to see Jesus so that our hearts might, might experience the explosive power of a new affection. So here's my closing um, exhortation. Is more than anything else with this idea of spiritual growth is we need to pray. We need to pray, Holy Spirit, come. Help us to see and savor Jesus. Why? Because that is the fuel for a vibrant prayer life. And that is the critical thing for this idea of spiritual growth. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that You would come right now into our hearts and that You would show Yourself in a new and powerful way. And I pray that we would really worship here as we end this whole weekend, uh, our time together uh, in song, uh, that we would worship You uh, with all of our hearts. Jesus, forgive us for trying to white-knuckle our life and thinking that we can actually bring about our own spiritual change. Father, bring about worshiping hearts in our lives and help us to see the incredible power that is in us because of Christ. Thank you for these students. I pray that they would continue to wrestle with the things that we've learned this week and that you would grow them through your spirit and make them more and more into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the worship team comes up, um, I have asked them, we're going to do two songs. And one of the, the first song that we're going to do is Give Me Jesus. And I think that's a very fitting way to end the weekend. Uh, particularly this talk on Ephesians 1 because Jesus is the one that helps us grow. And so more than anything else, we need to pray, give me Jesus in every circumstance of our lives. So let's stand and sing.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> 